Good morning, everyone. Welcome back to Kafaru Cast. Uh, I'm riding solo today. My partner in crime, Frank the Tank, Tort Life Cougar Hunter Peralta, is uh, hanging with uh, Gladiators Unleashed. But I have a guy that I find his opinion extremely valuable and important in the industry. Uh, he's done great thing in the clothing industry with Sitka gear, and that is John Barklow. John, thanks for hopping on with us. Hey, Aaron, man. Thanks for uh, thanks for reaching out this morning, bright and early. Yes, yes, I did probably text you. I, I thought may have been too early, but you were already at work, so it worked out great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so for those of you who don't know, uh, John uh, Barklow works for Sitka Gear. He has a, a vast uh, amount of experience in survival, clothing, gear, um, work. You were in the military for a while doing training up in Alaska. Um, and now you are, you basically do all the, well, not all, but a lot of the big game backpack designing and everything for Sitka. Is that correct? Yeah. So technical term is big game product manager. So that pretty much incorporates everything in that category. Yeah. Gotcha. And then you train, you did cold weather training up in Alaska as well, right? Yeah. So I was in the Navy for 26 years. Uh, 20 years of that, I taught uh, taught in the SEAL teams, mm-hmm. and out of that 20 years, 15 of that was up in Alaska training guys, basically uh, in, yeah, they used to call it man skills, um, but it was, uh, you know, land navigation, survival, um, you know, essentially backpacking with a gun in some regard. Um, we developed clothing systems and gear. So that's kind of where I got all my, my background and, um, in that. And, you know, the cool thing with that was you got to, you know, you basically got paid to develop the gear and then go try it, test it, give feedback. And then when you got it dialed, you got to teach, you know, all these kind of high end users how to use it. And you could see, you could see the people use it and, and you learn so much by going, Oh man, I never, I never kind of intended the, you know, the tent to be used that way, but that's how most of the guys are using it. So it was, it was a really good feedback loop. Uh, got a ton of experience doing that. Gotcha. Yeah, no. And I mean, you and I've, um, you know, talked a few different times off and on and definitely, uh, from, from the conversations we've had, as well as obviously what I've, uh, videos I've seen you on and, and things like that. It, it sounds like our, um, thought process and, and, and backpack hunting and gear is pretty freaking close to identical. Um, uh, I haven't really seen anything that, um, is there any kind of a polar opposite where other guys I'll talk to is, it is quite a bit of a, a polar opposite and maybe some of my, my ideas or, or, or systems that I run. And I think a lot of that has to do with how many times you've just been bent over and, and, and rammed by mother nature. Um, when that, when that happens, you're, you're, your your ideas on on uh, on gear uh staying alive staying comfortable they do they do change um and i'm not by all means i like going lightweight but there is a uh, a fine line um between you know hard ass and dumb ass and people cross that line all the time for a mere two pounds let's say um and yeah, yeah. I've kind of always looked at it of one, you know, when you, when you're, when you're hovering on that line, I always kind of looked at it. Of course, I'm, I'm not that old. I'm, I'm, I'm 41 now. Um, uh, you know, I would rather 
be in a little bit better shape to carry a little bit heavier load. And we're talking the difference of two to five pounds can make or break a hunt, meaning, you know, three season to four season tent, you know, 30 degree bag to 20 degree bag down versus synthetic, one extra layer of clothing or the right layer that can be, mm-hmm. I mean, and it's not that much weight difference and that can push you off the mountain. It's pushed me off the mountain to where now I'm very methodical about what gear I use, but also I look at like guys do a lot of spreadsheets and stuff. I don't do that that much. If it's in the pack, it's cause I need it, right? I don't overpack or underpack. If it's in there, I need to have it. But when you start breaking down the, the weight difference between ultralight to let's say standard weight, you're only talking three to five pounds in gear and a lot, in my opinion, a lot of comfort lost and you can put yourself in a, a sticky situation. I mean, what do you, how do you feel about that? Yeah, no, I, I completely agree, but you, you know what it comes down to and, and, you know, you and I are fortunate enough to have it, but it's experience. You know, I'm sure we could all, you know, you and I could talk about, I'll talk, you know, about myself when I was this weight zealot, you know, and, cutting the toothbrush handle and all this kind of stuff. And, and, uh, you know, I think it's okay to, to do that and experiment, but man, I think when, once you do it long enough and, uh, and, you know, and, and get pummeled in the mountains enough, um, and maybe get away with some things you probably shouldn't have got away with and, and, you know, kind of gotten out by the skin of your teeth, like you really start to kind of come back to the middle. And I just, I just hate to see people, compromise their safety for a couple you know like you said a couple pounds and you know i mean not everything is life and death but at a minimum they could compromise their hunt you know maybe they get a great tag and all of a sudden they're getting pushed out of the mountains because of a storm and uh if they brought you know like you said i know you guys sell some great tp tarps and stuff but you know if they had brought a four season tent on that particular hunt, they could have weathered out the storm and, and then kept, kept hunting the next day. Um, yeah. And I don't know if it's partly just getting older, but I agree with you. I, I just would rather work out a little harder and, uh, and, and carry a few more pounds. And I, I always like to say, I want to leave the mountain on my terms and not mother nature's. And when you kind of go into it with that mindset, you kind of start to think about things a little bit different. You know, I'm sure you got your system. If I said, Hey man, let's pack up and go in 12,000 feet and uh, go in, you know, seven miles. You could probably pack in the next 30 minutes. Yeah. I mean, and, uh, honestly, I'm probably and, already and packed. So could I. Yeah. Oh yeah. 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 Well, and, and, and man, you bring up very good points there. And, and one thing like we're, we, we use Hilleberg tents a lot um, here at Kafar. Yep, we even great. sell them and, because in, in my opinion, if the weather's really bad above tree line, you use a four season tent. If you're in tree line, I pack a like you said, teepee in a in a stove because I, I like uh-huh. to be warm. Fire for me yep. when when yep. applicable and when you can do it, um, you know, you, I build a fire whether it's in a stove or or outside. And 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 those are the things where one my 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 schedule is that of you know if you called me and actually said hey can you be in Montana on Tuesday or Monday. I can pack by noon today, concluding the drive home, explaining to all members needed to be told of I'm leaving uh, and have my <laughs> shit ready to go. And, and I set up my garage that way. I have 
everything from batteries, headlamps, fire starter, sleeping pads, everything's laid out. You know, the R value on the sleeping pads, they're separated according to that. Uh, my shelters are the same way. And you're right, the clothing is the exact same way as well to where, you know, I know like, um, you know, for, for example, if it is at 12,000 feet, a lot of people don't think about this. Wind is a, is a problem. Um, and you, you, we were just up there. Um, we were, we got up to about 12, six Frank and I, and even though it's, it's, it's 90 degrees on the Valley floor, it's in the mid seventies up high. The moment that sun went down, the, the wind was nice when the sun was up. The moment the sun went down, immediately it is just cutting through you and you know you've got the things people don't think about where you hike in your base layer is wet it's sweaty Um, you need to change that thing out get the one you're wearing dry if at all possible get another layer back on to keep that body heat going and get a wind blocker layer on you to cut that wind down or so it doesn't cut through you because I mean keeping your body core temperature regulated is is paramount um you get Huge. those, yeah. yeah, you get those spikes um, where you're super cold, super hot. You know, when you're super hot, this, that's not, unless you talk about heat stroke or whatever, heat exhaustion. But I mean, when you get super hot, you're just sweaty. But then at that elevation, you're, when it drops and you've gotten sweaty and everything's wet, once your core temperature gets low, you're, you're effed, you're screwed. I mean, you're, you're in trouble. And a a lot of the stuff that I've heard you say, and, and it kind of go movement is life. If you can't build a fire, move, get moving, do push ups, walk. Yeah. You got to generate body heat. No. Yeah. Yeah, Your body is that internal combustion engine. That's going to keep you warm. That's going to dry stuff out. And, you know, you talk a lot about food, but you know, that that's the fuel for that engine. I eat more than I probably should. Um, you and I were talking about that before we got on. Um, I get hangry for one, but two, I'm, um, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm eating like 3000 plus calories a day, which is a problem, right? I mean, you got to pack that in. Um, but eating the right food is, is, uh, you know, pretty important. You, you can burn yourself out on a short trip. It really doesn't matter as much. Um, you know, matters always matters some, but when you're doing back to back to back to back backpack hunts or you're doing an extended stay, the food does become, in my opinion, pretty, uh, you know, pretty important to where people don't even really realize, including taking, you know, some supplement. When I say supplement, keeping your electrolytes going, you know, like you're flushing those things out. You need to be putting them back in as well. Yeah. And, you know, when you and South were talking on the podcast the other day, I was listening. I told you, and, you know, you had said something about um, uh, olive oil and things like that. And, you know, it's, I mean, we could do a podcast just on food, but it's super important what food you bring and then it's calorie dense and, you know, that you have your fats. And I did a, about 150 K walk from the South end of Kodiak back to town with a couple guys. And we tried to walk the highest kind of feasible route we could, you know, there's no trails there. And, um, so the other two guys were a lot skinnier than me. And I told you, I don't need to eat a lot, but I know exactly what I do need to eat. And they just tried to bring so much food that at the end of the first 12 hour day of hiking, like, you know how you, you just not hungry sometimes and they couldn't force all the food down their, their throat. Um, and by the end of the trip, we were like, we were fighting over the, I think we brought almond oil. We were fighting over the almond oil and we were just taking shots of that. Right. Cause our bodies were just craving, just that 
I guess the fat calories. Right. But, um, yeah, but it, it, you know, and then you talk about shelters and, you know, you guys make some awesome shelters and I, I own several and I've used them, but, you know, I've also been above tree line, like you said, where, I mean, I've had tent poles break. I've sat up all fucking night with my arms bracing the tent, hoping that this thing didn't collapse and force me out into the elements, you know? You do a couple couple nights like that or a couple trips like that, like you start to select your gear pretty pretty wisely. And if it's an extra pound you have to bring to survive that trip, then that's what you do. Yeah. Um, but again, it all comes down to you you gotta have that experience or you know, somebody like yourself, like you know, like you take somebody out and start showing them the ropes, like that that helps immensely. No, it it does, and I, you know, it's funny you bring up the shelters. I get yelled at by by Petra and Stewart all the time for taking shelters from Hilleberg in situations that that shelter was not designed for, and they won't post the photo. They're like, no, <laughs> we're not, and they're like, you have the experience, you know, one, you can get out of the situation if you put yourself in it. But like when they first, yeah. um, uh, I won't mention the shelters' names, but some of their lighter weight shelters that are not built for four season use. When they sent it out to me, yeah. I usually get them a year in advance to test. Uh-huh. I'm like, uh-huh. okay, I was at thirteen thousand feet. We had about forty mile an hour winds. A snowstorm went through. This thing's legit. And they're like, do not repeat that because we will have somebody <laughs> inevitably do that, right? Probably and I'm that. like, well, yeah. you know. And yeah. Frank has learned, um, you know, quick, right? Like. You, whether it be if you're in snow, like learning how to do a dead man anchor correctly, or when you're in softer ground, you know, you look at all our guy outlines. I mean, they're cut. I mean, everyone has got boulders on top of it because even though it may be nice in the day, I've seen many tents blow down in the middle of the night because improper, you know, they didn't get the stake in correct. They didn't reinforce it, whatever the case may be. And that will end a hunt because like once that wind gets going and one pole snaps, it's only a matter of minutes or seconds before the rest of the oh, sh- shelter's yeah, going you're down. Done. Yeah, no, you're 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 done. Yeah, Hilleberg makes some of the finest tents I think in the world, and you know we got to work with with them when I was in the in the military, and you know Petra's she's awesome. They they make some some great stuff, and I definitely promote them. Um, but I agree with you; it's not just the tent, right? I mean. It's the anchors. It's what you bring. It's the the guy outlines. Like there's so much stuff. It's it's tough, man. I mean, there's really no single resource that I know of right now that, you know, that somebody kind of getting into that could could go and reference. But you know, there's a lot to that. Um, you know, I mean, I probably maybe I should or shouldn't say this, you know, but I rarely if ever bring uh, tent stakes anymore because I I just know you know depending on where I'm going, but I just know that. I can find as good, if not better, you know, anchors for my tent or, or tarp or whatever I'm using, um, depending on how I'm pitching it, you know. But it's it's never just like, oh, yeah, just throw in the six tent stakes and that's just what you do. It's just there's far more to it than that, um, for sure. But you can get away with, like what you were describing, tents that maybe shouldn't be designed for that. You can get away with that. And maybe that experience helps you maybe cut a little weight because you have a, you know, that experience to help you get through that situation. Yeah. I mean, I, I was, uh, my, my fiance, we, we took her, 
I, I've I knew her, you know, ten years ago. Not not to get into the dating thing, but we dated, and she told me one day, <laughs> I, I can't wait to go camping and whatever, and and so then now she's she's went straight varsity level, right? We're dating, and she's ready <laughs> to go, and I'm like, all right, well. We're going to go in. I don't want to bring snowshoes. This is her. Now, keep in mind, this is her first backpacking trip ever. And I'm like, if we go in early enough, the snow should be frozen. And I don't want to pack snowshoes six miles in. I'm just, I'm going to, we'll be fine. So we, we get in there and I was wrong. Um, the snow is extremely deep. <laughs> We're post-holing a little bit. And I'm like, hey, almost there. You know, I mean, I, I'm pretty positive all the time because I'm just happy to not be in the office. She's happy. She doesn't know any better, right? She's dumb and happy. Yay, we're on the well, It's great. You know, I'm thinking, Jesus, this lake's going to be covered in snow and frozen. And it mm-hmm. was. So we get to the lake, solid as a rock. And I'm like, well, all right, honey, you know, we'll just figure out a place to build a fire. Frank's with us. I'm like, let me get the tent set up. And, you know, Frank's looking at me like dude, there's no dry ground. And I'm like, I know there's no dry ground, but don't make a big deal of it because she doesn't know any better. She thinks this is normal. So just (laughs) pretend it's normal. So we go out and we cut dead man anchors. You know, we get them all ready to go. And uh, and I just show her, hey, honey, this is how you do it. And I get, and I had a Hilleberg um, Analo. I get that up. Frank has a solo. She doesn't know any better, right? So I get, uh, I had Tyvek and I put that in the vestibule. We lay in there. I got a lantern going, which you're not supposed to do inside of a tent. So don't do what I do, do what I say. <laughs> and uh, build a fire. We find kind of a one spot where we can get a fire going. She doesn't know any better, right? So we, the next day, I'm like, hey, I think on the way in, I saw a lake across the valley that was thawed. Let's bushwhack it over there. We're on top of the snow anyway. We'll get up early. And she doesn't know that this is, not extreme, extreme, but this isn't, you know, most, this is not a good first trip, but she doesn't know any better. She's with Frank and I, right. she feels comfortable. And I'm like, honey, we're going to get up real early so we can walk on top of the snow and we got to beat feet because once the sun comes out, we're going to be post holing in six to eight feet deep of snow, which you, you will not like me or that. So works like a charm. Head to the next lake. That one's was a southern elevation, so it it, um, it was thawed, right? No snow. Mm-hmm. Catch a ton of fish. You know, then we teach her how to build a fire. We teach her how to – she has no idea. Like, she has learned what took me on my own a long time to learn all this of trial and error. We go back down the trail. She knows no different. And with what – you know, one of the things I learned with that was, one, that was for her um, when uh, – how would I put this – the fact that she never knew that any of that was maybe a bit more extreme than normal, she thought it was normal, <laughs> yeah. right? She didn't She didn't yeah. know. And since she was with us, where hikers, if that was reversed and that was a, a hiker that is um, a newfound hiker that just went in, had a three-season tent, didn't know dead man anchors, was so tired when they got to that first lake, that is where you get in trouble, right? That is where... Well, hikers die every year in Colorado for that reason. You're you're super sweaty. You don't know what to do. They probably didn't bring enough clothing. They can't build a fire. They don't know how. They end up, you know, potentially if they're going through snow or whatever, you can get lost a hell of a lot easier if you're not following your tracks, try to take a shortcut. Where with her, she learned out of the gate what what I would say is the right way, that you know, the proper way to do things. And that first trip, I'm glad it was like that because she 
uh, everything from then on was it was downhill from there, right? Anything else? She's like, oh, this is easy, and she had no idea. And I think it's you know kind of going along the lines with you said, if you can get and buddy up with a guy that has a lot of experience, you're going to be a hell of a lot happier than doing what I did, learning it by trial and error. Um, cause there's a lot yeah. of long, lonely, cold ass nights when you learn it by trial and error. And it's just, just how it is. Yeah, there's no doubt, you know, and, and very rarely do we discuss that, but you know, all the, all the shitty nights that I have spent out either testing gear that didn't work or testing a theory that I had that didn't work, you know, or, I mean, it, there were some shitty nights. I'm sure you've had more than, more than your share as well. Um, but no, it, 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 it will it will make the learning curve so much quicker um, if if you do understand that. But you know, you, you say you say things, and I I hear you, but you gloss over them so quick because you've got so much experience. But you know, again, that uh, podcast with South, and and just now you're talking about, well, you know, we just built a fire and taught her how to do it, and so many people kind of fall back on that as a default. Well, eh, if I get if I get in a situation, I'll just build a fire. It, man, it's easy to say, but if you're not taught how to do it and know where to get the dry wood and, and, and bring the proper fire starting mechanisms and dude, you're fucked. Like if that's your backup and you've never done it or you just did it in the fire pit in your backyard on a sunny afternoon, like you have no idea how to really build a fire, you know? And, um, well, let's you know, lay, you, let's you lay that it. out. That's why, since... you, that's why you, that's why you gloss over it so quick, but it's like, but that's a, yeah, that's an, a whole skill unto itself. Yeah, let's let's talk about that, and uh, I'm going to go over what I do. Basically, here's my 60 seconds of three feet deep of snow to five feet deep of snow, um, all around, and 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 in the timber. So the the first thing I do is I'm looking for a tree laying sideways. Um, I'm looking for dry wood, and generally, if there's a dead tree laying sideways, whether there's snow on top of it or not, I'm going to find something underneath that is dry. Now, even if it's I'm ch- to pulling big parts off or little parts, I can make big parts into little pieces. I can make a 10 foot long log and I can make, you know, I can make tinder out of that. So I'm just looking for any type of dry wood I can. I bring that back close to my campsite. I pick a place, if at all possible, I dig down to the ground if I can. If not, I take a very large piece of bark, so I'm building my platform on something dry. I get my yep. tender, and I bridge it up, and I have it all ready to go. So I have my little shavings all the way up to my big pieces laid out, ready to go. Now, if I'm using like a ferro rod or whatever, that's a totally different story. That takes a bit more effort. I'm lazy, and I carry trioxane. Which, thank God, burns anywhere. (laughs) Um, I don't burn it all at once. I take a small chunk, the smallest piece I think I can get away with so I'm not using it a lot. I start that on top of that piece of bark or the dirt, and then I start laying small tinder to where oxygen can come underneath it. Um, Because if you you smoke it out or you burn it out and it can't get oxygen, it's not going to go. So whether it's the teepee method or a log cabin method, um, the the idea behind it is oxygen can get to it. And then as each gets going, I just keep bridging it up to larger and larger pieces. That's my quick spiel. What do you do? No, 
So I- exactly, but let me let me uh, let me default back to my uh, to my instructor days. So you said everything exactly right. Like that's exactly the way I would do it. But the biggest thing is you found dry dry dead wood, right? So standing dead wood, um, and the ability to find that is, is huge because everybody looks to the ground and wants to pick up you know wood from the ground, which is you know, if it's covered in snow or in a puddle, it's 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 going to be difficult to do. So you have to do that. Your site prep, you have to have a place where you know it's not too windy, but it's not dead calm necessarily, um, and it's not a place that's going to you know you you were describing building on snow, but but no matter where you build it, what you build the fire on is important. And then you talked about you know TP your log cabin. It's not just this ball of that you're throwing down and you know in the center and trying to somehow light um you had tinder and kindling and all those pieces of wood that you needed you had uh, a legitimate fire starter being trioxane or uh you know uh duct tape or whatever the hell cotton ball with vaseline you know you've prepped that you understood that you needed that and you had a fire source because bic lighters really i mean if you're carrying bic lighters you better have a bunch because those things get wet and suck really quick um and then the other thing is that, again, we gloss over is understanding, like, what the fuck actually makes fire, which is the fire triangle, right? Which is oxygen, which you talked about, uh, fuel, which we talked about, and then you have to have heat. And the one thing I think people discount is that, oh, yeah, well, I'm just going to light this thing and it's going to be a fire and it's going to keep me warm. That's like, no, if it's wet wood, like, you may, you may be bent over that thing you know, blowing on it to, to pump oxygen and heat into there for fucking two hours before you have a legitimate fire, you know? So it just, it just depends. When you say that, you know, and this brings me up to uh, BC, North Idaho, Washington, uh, Oregon days, we have had to rotate out three different guys, you know, and, and these are things I gloss over because I do take it for granted. It's like giving CPR, you will pass the fuck out. If you are not careful blowing on that fire. So you do when it's that wet, you do, in my opinion, having a rotating duty of uh, who's giving the blow job. Someone's got to blow on that thing and eventually you will blow enough. You'll black out. Um, You I've never blacked out, but I've gotten dizzy as shit up high to where rotate guys to get it going because. If you get a spark and you do get it going, that's a very good point, and you can keep blowing on that thing, eventually it that heat will transfer through, start drying things out, and, and it's like a good cancer. Right. It spreads. Right. I've just... Yep. Yeah. Now, <laughs> you'll laugh. One of the things I started to do... <laughs> you know the, the, the hurricane blowers for uh, your lenses on camera gear? Yeah. Dude, that's yeah, become my really? fire starting fucking genius no, tool because yeah. I pack one everywhere anyway. And so uh-huh. sure. when it's wet and it's just forearm strength, right? And you know, and I punch my clown all the time, so I've got that. I just and I'm and I'm not expending oxygen out of my body. And so and I can yeah. pinpoint the tip of that um that hurricane blower and it's for cleaning off lenses and in and, and your camera gear. Right. But if I'm trying to get pinpoint oxygen on that, I can pump that thing forever back and forth, left to right hand to get wet wood dry, you know, once I've got something yeah. going. Um, and, and that's something, you know, I I mean, as stupid as that is, that thing has been paramount for me. A, a, a $5 hurricane blower to take cool photos has become my fire starting master. 
I mean, it's just way easier but, but than you me. But camera gear. Yeah, and I, mean, I can't. You've already got it. You might as well use it. Dude, if you're 12,000, 13,000 feet blowing on a fire, fuck, I'd pass out too. Yeah, well, you figure, like, depending upon where you're at, how far south you go, tree lines between 11,500 and, and 12,000 feet. You know, and it, on, on the west coast, it's more like 7,000 or something, whatever. Some Somebody, I'm sure, will hop on here and correct me. Tree line is high. Let's just put it that way. So you, with the wood you're also dealing with is extremely windswept and harder than woodpecker lips. And so yep. that's another yep. thing that people need to take into consideration. Not all wood burns the same. Um, and sometimes it takes a hell of a lot more effort. Like you burn wet tamarack, you may be trying to burn that shit till 2019. Like it ain't fucking drying. Right. And right. so when you're looking for, you know, different woods, um, you start snapping it over your knee or with your hands. That is good to get it going. Right. That's it's it, it's not great if you need a long term burn in a stove, but you you at least know that that is going to ignite quickly. And I'm not an arborist by any means, but I know what wood burns better, what's harder, you know, things like that. And all those things are. I mean, Christ Almighty, you can Google most of that shit and watch it on YouTube and at least pretend like you know what you're doing. I mean, a lot of this st- stuff yeah. is at, you know, arm's reach. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, um, you know, I just, I, I think it's important when, when, you're, when you're teaching people to not just teach them the how, but, but the why, right? Because, again, if they don't understand that, you know, it might, the reality is it might take several hours of blowing on this thing to produce enough, heat to get this wood going like you know you're thinking oh i failed it's like no dude fucking you're gonna have to stay at this to keep it going and then uh you know once you do get it going depending on how many people and what you're doing i mean shit if you've got a 20 foot long you know tree or sapling spread that fire out and bring it in and burn it six feet at a time you don't have to cut that thing up you know that kind of stuff i mean i don't want anybody burning down the, the desert i or burning down the west. I guess you guys are in, got big fire danger oh, out fuck. there already. You can but. fart and start a fire right now. But yeah, yeah. as you're talking about but. that, the other thing too is all the wet wood. Stack that shit around the fire so it's doing dual Absolutely. purpose, drying it out yep. as the other yep. fire is burning. And I mean, I do take a lot of this stuff for granted because I've done it, you know, so much. But oh, we um, all do. Yeah. But <laughs> you think about, I've got some of this shit I shouldn't even talk about. Man, Ryan Avery and I, I pack in a torch in North Idaho. Uh, I, no shit, propane torch. It is so wet. I literally turn it on, lay it sideways on the wood. Dangerous, right? Don't do not do this shit unless you're an expert. But, you know, like the torch to heat up your inserts for hot melt torch? Yeah. Yeah, yep, we, yep. we pack one of those in and a, and a <laughs> bottle. It's worth it. Man, the, the effort to carry that in is way better than blowing on it and literally will hold it, you know, or just lay it there beneath the the, 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 the teepee and just leave it on <laughs> until the fire goes. Now, that is a lazy, lazy way to do it, but it does go along the lines with what you're talking about of we know what we're getting into. And yeah, when you talked about juicy being worth the squeeze, I'll pack in the 8-ounce torch and the 16-ounce fuel bottle to get that fire started. I've all, I've also made like what I Lumagel, um, uh, my own version of napalm yep. for fire starter, which is another super chicken dick way to do it. But if you take gasoline and styrofoam, uh, it's also, well, I won't get into how, you know what, that's probably not good for everybody to know what we also use that for. But 
you throw that gooey mess in the middle of a, um, you know, a teepee, it sticks to everything and you light it. It does burn for quite a while. Now, I don't do that all the time, but I tell you what, the wetter conditions, I get a hell of a lot more craftier um, at what I use to build a fire. Now, that's a lazy man way to do it, obviously. Like, I know what I'm getting into, so I'm prepping for it. Where the problem lies is when you're not ready and knowing what to do. But, um, you know, having right. what you need, like the different, like long burn matches are super handy. Um, the tinder, everything that you were talking about, that's also important. But I've done some crazy shit to stay warm. Know, I just, but I just tell people, get out there and, I mean, have fun with it. Get out there and play around, you know, experiment. I mean, don't don't just assume you, you know how to do stuff. Like, go out and do it. Try it out, you know. I mean, you're, it seems like you guys – you know, you, you test a lot of gear and obviously you're caching gear and stuff when you're doing your fishing trips, but ultimately, you know, you're gaining that valuable experience. You're going to learn or uh, sorry, use, uh, you know, during hunting season. So, you know, I mean, that's, that's part of the fun. You don't just have to go out during hunting season to do this stuff. I going to say not to go down a rabbit hole, but, um, I know you're, you're big into the, uh, and forgive me, I'll, I'll screw the name up, but basically the, uh, the, the scalpel blade kind of knives when you're processing game and I am too, but do you carry what, what other, what other kind of blade do you carry? It depends. It, that's funny. That is exactly what I was going to bring up. Don't bring a <laughs> fucking Havilon cause it's only good for tender <laughs> after that or yeah. a, a Taito yeah. is what yeah. I use. So Taito, yeah, that's it. Yeah. The, generally for me, I always have a, a, a Taito, which is an interchangeable blade knife. Um, but for, I, I used to carry a folder, um, and it's in Colorado will make you lazy when it comes to fire building and things like that. Cause you know, you're not having to you know, dry wood is relatively easy to find. You know, you're not really splitting wood. Um, you're not having to use a knife, um, as a, you know, as an ax or a hatchet, let's say, like survivalist guys, do you see a lot of bushcrafters do, you know, you're using that thing, you know, generally, I'm picking my toenails with it, cutting some rope, cutting the top off of my, you know, mountain house meal, there's not a whole lot of shit I'm doing. But when you need to use it for fire, that's where the folder started to kind of, you know, they wear out, they get pretty weak. So I, I either yeah. I've been using SE knives, um, you know, quite a bit, it's still yep. a lightweight knife, it's an Azula. Um, but, mm-hmm. but what I'm able to do with that, whether it's cutting, uh, you know, the chagger root to make tea off of or splitting firewood, I'll take that thing, get it going, club the shit out of it to split wood in half or split trees or whatever. You can't do that with a interchangeable knife or, a, or even a foldable. It'll usually bite you in the ass. Um, so I always yeah. have a, an SE Azulu on me, generally anyway. Yeah. No, completely aligned there. I've got one folder i've got from strider that you can actually baton wood with but i normally don't i generally don't carry it but i try to carry a a, you know a four inch blade uh i'm a huge fan of se knives and um yeah for that for that very reason you know i mean that that havilon is going to be worth or taito is going to be worth shit if you really need a knife you know and uh yeah i know guys go crazy on blades and i'm by no means a knife expert but you need something that's sturdy. You can pry with a little bit, but you don't need some giant, you know, seven-eighth blade by any means. No, no. And I mean, when when you when you get the knife that big, really, it's kind of a 
you know, the, the juice being worth the squeeze is carrying that extra weight worth taking, uh, you know, if, if you're carrying that amount of weight, is it easier to, instead of carrying a 10 ounce knife to carrying a two and a half ounce knife, uh, and taking that other, you know, weight and putting it to another piece of gear, you know, kind of, I'd say robbing Peter to pay Paul, but that definitely, I mean, in my, and a lot of times in my mind, when I'm going through gear, um, if I, let's say my skill set is a little bit better on one end of the spectrum, I might take a little bit less gear on that side of the skill set and a little more where maybe I'm not as good at or what that specific area dictates. Meaning if I'm going into an area that I know it's going to be real hard to start a fire, I'm probably going to care extra um, gear that I normally would not to get the fire going uh, where I might take a little bit less gear in another side of it, if that makes any sense, because it's all terrain. De- I hate to, I always say met T dependent. Nobody knows what I'm talking about, but it's always dependent <laughs> upon the situation um, in the yeah. area I'm at. So, yeah, no, no doubt. You know, I just say, don't, don't compromise your safety for, for a couple ounces here and there, but, but it's not just a one size fits all kind of, kind of packing list either, you know? Um, yeah, no, we're, we're, we're like you like you said in the beginning, we're very much aligned there. I, you know, I mean, in some regard, we kind of quote grew up the same way, right? We were kind of taught certain ways to do things and be prepared, and uh, it's just kind of carried over into our hunting. Some of the problem is just, I mean, I hate to fake fun of millennials, but can no one run a fucking chainsaw anymore, right? I mean, no one does man shit anymore. It's, it drives me crazy, like. The things that I grew up having, I had a wood stove growing up as a kid. This is, this is, I mean, literally, okay, before dinner, you got to go get four armloads of wood because we only had a wood stove, right? Like, you know, even my daughter's mm-hmm. like, Dad, did you have a job when you were a kid? And I'm like, well, it's splitting firewood all summer long so we didn't freeze part of having a job, right? <laughs> but, I mean, a, a lot of it is just the generation time frame now is is different. Not in every area, obviously. I mean, there's obviously kids that grow up splitting firewood, but... um you know, part of, um, I think like growing up being somewhat poor, wearing, you know, Levi's and Carhartts and cotton and cotton hoodies and freezing your balls off when I was picking mushrooms for school clothes, you learn to really enjoy good clothing. You learn to enjoy good gear. And, and along the way, right. I, I mean, if you were writing a book on gear, let's say each individual person, um, Someone raised in Arizona, their book on gear is going to be way different than somebody that's raised in Western British Columbia or Western Oregon. And the, the kind of the bonus that, you know, you know, you and I've had as long as many others is, you know, that book of gear is from many different places that 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 knowledge yeah, base. Yeah. And that does also help, you know, where you can get pretty much go anywhere and have a pretty good idea of what you're getting yourself uh into but well one thing i want to talk about too i mean obviously we haven't even touched on clothing and that that's obviously what you do now or a lot of it man clothing um is something that i think one people um put way more thought process i mean you can simplify maybe i oversimplify clothing but as long as it's good and you understand the basic con- basic concept of a layering system and then Depending upon where you're going, that layering system will change, but it's still the same basic principles of a layering system. Meaning, if you're in a high wind, if it's cold, if it's hot, all of these, the same principles um, 
apply. It's just the layers change or, or in, in, in how I look at it. Why don't you touch on that? Cause you're, you're way more advanced on that shit and I'm sure you'll explain it better than I will. Yeah. You know, I, let's go back to the wood chopping it out real quick. Um, cause that will start there, but you know, you said wearing car hearts and cotton and all that, and you know, I'll, I'll get folks that ask us, you know, there's lots of companies now that make technical apparel for hunting and they're like, well, you know, my granddad or when I grew up, I wore Levi's and, and it's like, yeah, you did. And you know what? You probably killed an elk and your granddad probably killed a doll sheep, but you don't have to smash your head against the, the, the ground anymore, like, and leave the mountains cause your pants are wet and frozen stiff. And, you know, maybe you got lucky and maybe you could have killed an elk every year, vice every three years, you know? So that's what, you know, these technical clothes have brought us is, you know, the ability to go out there in far more diverse conditions and have a much more enjoyable experience. I mean, hell, it's not like anybody's forcing us to go out there, right? We want to go out there and have fun. Um, and then, quite frankly, to be a lot safer because you're not going to, you know, if you, if you layer properly, you're not going to be flirting with hypothermia and, and things like that or even heat stroke on the other extreme um as much but yeah you have to just understand the basics of layering and really when i what i kind of trying to boil it down to its like simplest kind of parts i would say if you're layering you should use you should use some uh anything but cotton right so if you're a wool fan sure we'll wear wool base layers if you're a synthetic fan you can wear synthetic layers uh don't put any cotton into the system because cotton's going to hold moisture. It's not going to dry quickly. You're going to be cold. Uh, it's just going to set you up for failure. And then you need to bring not a lot of layers, but you need to bring enough layers to kind of fit the environment you're going into. I think everybody should have some type of puffy layer. I think everybody should have some type of rain layer. Um, and that can be, you know, dependent on the environment that can change greatly. Um, and then, you know, you, you need, you need stuff that's going to dry. What I say is moisture management, all this stuff, all it's trying to do is manage moisture. You're, you're going to get wet somehow, either it's going to rain or snow on you, you're going to fall in the lake or you're going to get wet because you hike too hard and you sweated too much. Right. But somehow you're getting wet when you're out there. So, you know, how your system manages moisture. And then really what it comes down to is different layers manage it better. So I have, I sell pants that are really lightweight for warm weather and I sell pants that are a little more tight and locked up and durable for, you know, more extreme weather if you're going sheep hunting in October, you know. Um, but it's really about managing that moisture and not having cotton in that system to kind of screw it up. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree, obviously. And I think that uh, the the few, like, basic I, I hate to use this acronym because it's so generic from the military but but cold so you know uh, c for cleanliness o for overheating uh, l for looseness and layers and d for dry stay dry um it is very basic it does not cover everything but it does cover some important things um yeah w w one thing that uh, i try to explain to people uh when you talk about moisture management um 
I've taken a couple, uh, you know, friends on hikes is, that are that are when I say greenies, meaning not hunters, right? We just went on a, a hiking trip, a backpacking trip, uh, as well as some some ex girlfriends, and and one now is actually my ex wife, which was a totally different podcast. But the idea was <laughs> they didn't know what they were doing. We hiked in the five miles. We're right at tree line. I'm in a semi. Um, what do I want to say? Uh, I, 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 uh, you tr- we're not windswept, trying to stay out of the wind. And we stopped and I said, hey, strip, you need to get dry clothes on immediately. Get that wet stuff off. And there is a false sense of hope while your body is warm that you will stay warm. What most people that are green don't know is that warm, no matter what, whether it's merino, synthetic, it, it doesn't matter. When it's wet and the wind is blowing, your body is keeping it warm at that time, but that wind will beat your body, meaning it will overpower the body heat blowing on that cold clothing and it will get it cold uh, faster than your body or quicker. I say faster or whatever. It's, it's just going to basically outpower your body heat. Whereas if yeah. you take that wet clothing off immediately, Generally, what I do is I'm I'm pulling that off and I throw on a mid layer. Like I don't throw on another base layer unless I've packed it in. I generally, when that happens, the base layer comes off. My intermediate, um, I'm a huge fan of your heavyweight core crew hoodie. That is generally the one. I throw that on. I throw a puffy jacket on over that and generally a rain jacket on over that. And what I'm doing is whatever body heat I have left, I am trapping that inside with no moisture on my body because I've I've taken everything off that's wet. I don't know how many people that fuck themselves over by not doing that. And by the time they decide to, Mother Nature has put them in a hole. That quite honestly, they're going to have a hard time getting out of unless they really start moving again. Yeah. Um, would you say how I explain that or is that fairly true from your experience? Yeah, I, I'd say that's fairly true. I I. I, the only thing I do different is I never remove my base layer, but I immediately layer up when I start. And if I have a base layer that's efficient, you know, I found anyways, depending on, I mean, lots of environmental factors that, you know, my, my base layer will be dry, you know, just through sweat anywhere from probably five to 10 minutes for sure. But so many people stand there, like you said, with this false sense of security, like, oh, I'm warm. Well, that convective heat loss from the wind is stripping, you know, heat away, like you said, faster than your body can generate that heat. And all of a sudden you're going to start jackhammering. And that's where people get into a truck, into trouble, you know, because they, they start immediately in a hole that they really don't know how to dig themselves out of. Um, and so you, you yeah, you, you have to, you know, how many times you've seen guys climb to the top of a ridge to glass and they get up there. And they they're all hot, and they sit down. They immediately start glassing, and they're not they're not layering up. They're not they're not changing stuff out. And it's like, dude, you're going to be effed. Like you're not going to be able to sit here and glass comfortably for the next three hours. You're going to start shivering. Then you're going to start walking around, you know, and you're not going to be looking for deer or elk or whatever it is. So Let, let's talk yeah, about but, you, you know, leaving that base layer on. Um, yeah. Just only be lawyers. I. The only reason why one I don't, um, why well, I say the only reason, a lot of times, depending upon what's going on or whatever, a lot of times I have to say is because in Colorado, yeah, 
we're kind of weak here when it comes to it's easy to dry out layers and I will be very upfront about that meaning oh, I pull like that you take it off I take that thing off it'll be dry faster than it will yeah. if I put it on my body and I, and I should have mentioned that before yeah. and that's cuz of Colorado but explain why you keep that base layer on what material it is and and why it does dry as fast as it does Yeah so you know we we always default back to to kind of how we learn right primacy but you know living in for the most part here in montana or up in alaska like they're, they're more humid environments they're not as they're not as dry as a colorado if i took a base layer off in alaska assuming the weather even allowed me to do that um it, it's it's humid enough that that i mean even a good base layer isn't going to dry super quick um unless it's you know real windy out um, and if it's real windy, there's normally rain. So anyways, I've just always learned to keep it on. And yeah, maybe it's 10 minutes of, of discomfort, but that's, uh, but that's a more efficient method than trying to dry it out, um, off my body. Right. Um, or yeah, if you're down in an Arizona or a Colorado or a New Mexico, you're hunting desert sheep in Baja. I mean, it's so, it's so arid out that. Yeah, that moisture is going to immediately evaporate off that, off that clothing. I, I, and I'm assuming you're the same way, but I run, you know, as light a weight of base layer as I can year round. So if yep. it's warm out, that's the only base layer. And if it's cold out, then that's just the first of maybe several base layers that I'm, that I'm putting on my body. And, 100%. Um, I'm I'd so exactly the same. Yep. And so if that base layer, no matter what it's made of, synthetic or wool, um, if it's a good base layer, which quite frankly most of them are, um, it's going to move that moisture away from your skin. As soon as the moisture is off your skin, like who gives a shit where the moisture is after that? So my point to that is if I have three layers on and the moisture moves away from my skin, it's into the second layer. If that second layer is a little damp for, say, 20, 30 minutes, it's probably not going to affect me if I've taken the wind off my body. Like you said, you put a rain jacket on. You put the rain jacket on to block the wind. Um, you could trap you know, the heat the and block the wind. Puffy, exactly. If the outside of my puffy jacket's got a little moisture on it, that doesn't necessarily affect how warm I am, right? So that that first base layer is so critical to. Well, it's the foundation of any of any clothing system you're going to put on your body. Um, you know that you that you have to you have to choose that one wisely. I mean, you know, I jumped in that frozen river uh for the eastmans a couple years ago for the video and i mean yeah it was a it was an uber extreme example but it was one that i i hope caught people's attention to where what i was trying to basically you know convey is hey even in the the worst possible scenario if you have an efficient clothing system just your body heat alone and obviously that's that's uh, predicated on putting some food in um, is going to dry a clothing system out over time. Now, mind you, it's not going to be comfortable and all this bullshit. Everybody's like, oh, but it's not comfortable. And your ass gets fucking sweaty. It's like, yes, of course it does. Um, but it proved the point that a, an efficient technical clothing system will move moisture. And that's really, that's really what you're paying for when you buy these, these clothing systems, right? And for the most part, a lot of them work very efficient. Where we separate and other people separate is, you know, durability and quality and all these kind of things. But, you know, but that's really what you're trying to get with a, 
with a technical clothing system. Um, you know, I, I did a lot of climbing way back in the day and the mountaineering community, they've known this for decades. And it's, it's really like maybe folks like you and I that are still beating the drum for the hunting industry, like they're still learning this. These are still, some of this is still relatively new principles to people coming into hunting. Yeah, no, I agree. And I, uh, I, 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 without turning into another, a total asshole on this podcast, the worst thing I hate is when somebody hops on and you brought it up earlier and says, my dad killed whatever, my grandpa killed whatever in this, in cotton, in whatever, you know, let's just say excluding the pattern without getting in the pissing match of what patterns bettered. Let's just talk about the material. Well, I mean, are you taking a rickshaw to work, right? I mean, there's a lot of shit that you had to do back then, but you (laughs) you know, I mean, you don't fucking have to do it now. Right. I mean, yes. Like I shoot a recurve because I like the challenge, but I want to be comfortable while that wooden bow is in my hand. Like I don't really want the challenge of suffering physically of wearing subpar clothing. And, you know, the thing that, I mean, yeah, which I'm glad you're on here. Like that base layer was a very good idea because I take it grant for granted. Like I am in Colorado and it and it is arid. Is that the bottom line is what keeps you on the mountain the longest and the most comfortable? And you will never convince me cotton is going to do it. Um, you know what I mean? It, or a layering. You know, not having a layering system. A layering system is always going to outperform it, in my opinion. Um, you know, a one to two layer type of a deal. You cannot, um, you are not effective wearing, you're not the most effective you possibly can be with one to two total layers compared to, in my case, is generally five total. Um, some people might say mm-hmm. five is a lot, but I, I'm going to bring up your Kelvin active jacket because it's like a, one of my favorite pieces of all time. One, it's quiet, right? So I can I can yep. legitimately stalk in the Kelvin Active with a recurve and not worry about getting sub 10 feet with that thing. Two, I can walk it dry. Now, the people yep. that message me and say, hey, I got it and I put it on and, and uh, you know, I glassed for two hours and got cold. Well, that's not what it was fucking designed for. Read the instruction label, right? Like that's not what that's <laughs> – I mean – Buy another one, right? There's not a one do all, but for me, I like doubling that up with an even thicker puffy jacket when it's really cold. Yep, because I'll, I do too. well, I strip yep. the bigger one off when I got to walk. If it's that cold, I need that thing on when I'm moving because, and I do get right. because, then that's how my body regulates. But the thing that's nice about that, if I am glassing, you know, I'll you generally have. Um, like a 150 to 170 weight merino base layer or a, you know, synthetic or both. And then I'll have like a, a, a heavyweight core crew or fanatic above that. Over that, I'll have that Kelvin active. Over that, I may have another puffy. And over that, I may have a rain jacket because it yeah. 30 mile an hour winds at 12,000 feet are not nice. Okay. I just, I have to have all that on. What's nice about that Kelvin Active is I can pop the rain jacket off, the other puffy off, and I'm done. I'm on the move, and with that Kelvin Active, even if it's raining, that thing I know will dry out. So I don't have to reinvent the wheel before the stock. I'm just popping off a couple layers. I've got that Kelvin Active. It's quiet. It's keeping me warm enough while I'm moving, 
And if it gets soaking ass wood, I can walk it dry. I don't think people understand the concept of that jacket is one of the reasons I'm bringing it up. And, and I want you to kind of yeah. take it from me from there because I think that everyone should have a Kelvin active in my opinion. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a lighter weight puffy, like you were saying, and it's, it's incredibly breathable. So that's, you know, the, the example of say the person that, you know, wrote you and said, Hey, I put it on the glass and I, you know, ended up getting cold. Well, one, it's not a, a heavyweight puffy jacket. And two, you know, it blocks some wind, but to make it breathable enough, it's not going to block all the wind. So, you know, I don't want to make this uh, a sick of podcast, but, you know, you mentioned the flash pullover uh, in a, in a recent podcast. And like that thing is just a super lightweight. I think it's like 12 ounce, you know, basically windbreaker, um, that you could put on top of that. And all of a sudden that, that increases the insulation value, right? Cause you're blocking the wind. <clears throat> but to me that, so the Kelvin active jacket is my go-to puffy to start. And if it's warm weather, that may be all I bring depending on where I am. And if it's cold weather, like you mentioned, then I bring a another puffy to go over that but there's so much versatility in that kelvin active jacket because of um you know the the high breathability and the synthetic content you know it dries super quick like you mentioned um to me it's become like the foundational uh loft piece that that i start every every uh every system with right right and i, I mean you know, for, for me, I guess being a, you know, we're quote unquote mountain hunter, um, the breathability, the, the quietness, um, or the whatever, how quiet that exterior shell is on that. Um, and the, just the principle behind it. I, I mean, when you showed it to me originally, I was like, yeah, no one's done that before. That's, that's pretty fucking smart. Um, be, because a lot of times there is not a, a perfect layer for certain temperatures when you're moving. Um, and it's hard to explain, but if you can imagine you're at 12-3, you're sitting, you're glassing, you've got a bunch of layers on, you've got your pack there, and you pick up a, a sheep or a mule deer that's that's bedded. Okay, so a lot of people ask this question, what do I stock in? Okay, from A to B. Well, uh -huh. if it's 80 degrees, I don't stock in shit. I'm a t-shirt. I mean, I ain't talking to anything really the lightest thing I can, but a lot of times when you're making that stock, it could be you're making that stock because that, that deer or sheep has planted because of high wind. They hate the wind. So your ass is going to have to go through that wind for a couple thousand yards maybe. And a lot mm -hmm. of times when I'm making that movement, I will get too hot with a wind a rain shell or a wind blocking shell when I'm moving right. and I don't want to get wet. I don't want to sweat. I want to be regulated to where I'm just warm enough or just cold enough to where I'm, I'm not uncomfortable, but I'm not sweating my balls off. That Kelvin active yeah. allows me to do that with generally in that situation, I'm talking about a core crew hoodie, a heavyweight underneath and Again, it is quiet, and, I, and I'm not trying to turn this into a Sitka sales pitch either, but that is one of those things that was missing before. Before, I would have had, um, you know, I don't bring generally soft shells on backpack hunts, but I would have had mm, probably maybe a puffy that was a little too loud or a little too warm or another, um, you know, fleece layer that 
I would have had to have packed extra that I normally wouldn't need where that Kelvin active takes the place of that. And I'm probably doing a shitty job of explaining that, but that is where that thing is, is, is paramount for me is that movement between A to, to B on the stock or from A to B um, different glassing areas, positions. And, and it keeps me regulated yeah. very well. Yeah, it's quiet enough. I've definitely stocked, you know, quite a few animals in it. And it's just got, it's just got a huge comfort range. And, uh, and you're right, you know, it's never been done in the hunting space before. It's been done in some technical mountaineering spaces, but, but certainly not the hunting space. So, yeah, it's become, it's become a foundational piece for me. But, but again, what it comes down to is the ability to regulate that, that moisture management and your temperature, right? I mean, it's huge. It's everything. Like, you're out there, you might not be thinking about it, but you're out there for a week, and, like, you're constantly trying to you know, not sweat too much. You're constantly trying to stay warm. You're constantly trying to stay out of the wind. Um, it's this constant, like putting layers on, taking layers off, you know, it's, a, it's, it's a dance that you're doing out there and, you know, you start to not really think too much about it, but you know, if you don't have the right stuff to put on, like you're going to have to leave, like at the end of the day, you're just going to have to come off the mountain and, and you'd, you'd hate to do that on a great hunt with a great tag in your pocket, you know? Um, You'd rather be able to stay up there and the more time you can glass, the more time you can hunt, you know, it's just going to put the odds in your favor more. No, de definitely. Um, the other thing too, that, um, that I like sleeping in a synthetic, um, sleeping bag, uh, with that Kelvin active, you can actually, um, wear that to bed and your body heat dries it overnight, just sleeping in it from your body yeah. heat, um, you don't want to, don't do that shit in a down bag. It, it will not pan out well for you. Um, don't, don't wear wet clothes in a down bag. That generally doesn't work out, but in a synthetic bag, it will. <laughs> um, or you can put it in your foot box or whatever. But, um, there were several times this last year where I, I did that, um, with that, that Kelvin active where I, I just wore it to bed. It was a little bit damp, um, wasn't uncomfortable for me. I, you know, and I may have a higher suck tolerance than others, but you know, if I have a semi dry base layer on, I put that over the top of it, zip it up. It's not like I'm sleeping in totally soaking wet clothing and, you know, Merino for me, uh, I don't wear Merino all the way up. I like synthetic on my mid layers. Um, personally, I like my base layer to be Merino. Um, Mm -hmm. but you don't feel horrible in it, you know, and generally I'm so tired, it doesn't matter anyway, and I don't sleep that much. So, I mean, if I get three to five hours, it's not really going to matter what I have on, I'm going to get about the same amount, but it will dry that out, uh, which is, I mean, anytime you can dry stuff out with very little effort is a bonus, um, you know, and that's something else yeah. that's, you know, for people to think about. Um, you know, one thing I was going to talk to you about was, was footwear. Um, South and I go back and forth where he basically pokes one of me because I wear stiff boots and he wears moccasins. Um, what do you, what do you feel about footwear or how do you feel about that? Dude, me, me and you are so aligned on footwear. It's crazy. I, I wear stiff boots. I mean, fuck it. I, I have to, I, I put maybe not as many miles as you do on your feet now, but I put a lot of miles on my feet in the past with a lot of weight on my back. And, um, you know, I just, I have some foot issues. As a matter of fact, I'll, I'll pump up your podcast that the one you had the other week, I think with that, uh, I don't know if he was a podiatrist or whatever that gentleman was, you guys were talking orthotics and stuff. Like I, I got to do that. Cause I mean, I, I just, I'm constantly dicking around with my feet, but I need to protect them when I'm in the mountains. I just have to. And, uh, I wear 
far stiffer boots than anybody, you know, in my little crew, uh, and kind of have for a long time. And, um, and, uh, I just, I just find that that's what I need to do to protect myself. And, you know, you're in those rocky terrain, you're coming down a, a steep scree field or something. You got weight on your back. Like I just, I'd love to be able to hunt in tennis shoes, but I just can't do it. And and that's one thing I've said is there is no doubt it's quieter. Flexible shoes are, are more quieter. I mean, I'm not, you can't deny that. I just, again, for me going through like all gear, trying everything, it just did not pan out well for me. Now I have fucked up feet. Um, arches dropped, you yep. know what I mean? Like, so, and, yep. and I, yep. I, I, I bounce back and forth. Like I use, um, Scarpa Charmouze quite a bit. I've used some La Sportivas yep. right now. I'm using a, a Hanvog, uh, Makara. Um, all of them are extremely stiff and, and I've gone, you know, I've worn a, a Scarpa Rebel Pro is one I've worn quite a bit, which is a, extremely, you know, lightweight, uh, full crampon compatible mountaineering boot. I very yeah, rarely have yeah. to put on crampons. I like the stiffness. Um, now, yeah. I will say that, um, and this is not in South's case at all, because I think he's got the feet of a, of a Native American, but a lot of times <laughs> <laughs> info I've seen guys produce to the, the masses, they forget the fine print of a horse packed out their animal. That is important mm-hmm. to mention, right? I mean, part of this yep. is getting the animal out, and that is where I feel your feet really get fucked up. And that's where stiffer boots really come into play. For me, is that, you know, when 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 you're heading out with 180, 120, whatever amount of weight, that stiffer boot, even though it may not be as comfortable as a, as a softer might the rest of the time, it's going to take care of them better and give them more support for long-term damage, which is where, you know, my feet have gained almost a size and a half, a full size for sure from my wow. arches dropping. So, yeah. Wow. Yeah, it's, it's crazy. Yeah, when I'm, I mean, when I'm jamming out of the field, I mean, one, mind you, because I'm, I'm bigger than, you know, most guys, I can carry a pretty good amount of weight. But with those stiff boots, I can jam out of the field. I mean, I am just like, I don't know, I can just do it. And that's really where they shine. And if I know I, I might have to make a couple trips to get something out of the field, I'll even have an even stiffer pair in my truck to go back in on maybe that's not my primary but you know i i can always take my boots off and you know i was just up in bc like you were i was up in bc stalking black bears and there were many times that i just you know i took my boots off i have a second pair of socks i throw on over top real quick and if i need to cover the last you know whatever 50 100 yards in my socks i'll do it but um I I just I've I've used them all like you said Scarpa La Sportiva uh, there's a crispy I, I really like the crispy boots right now are just really working for me but there's one pair in particular I think they're black and red and um, I got a pair that's they're pretty stiff and they, they they've been they've been I've been enjoying those for a while I forgive me I can't remember the name of most of the stuff but yeah that's it. Yep, and I got the black version, black and red, because apparently somebody said they might be making it softer, and I was like, oh, hell no, I'm buying these stiff ones right now. Um, but, you know, I've, I've had to defer to all the mountaineering brands for boots for years. I've never done the Han, Han log. I've never tried those. Um, but, yeah, man, when you're, when, you're, when you're jamming around the mountains as much as you are, you know, obviously, if you can't walk, you're, you can't walk. I mean, you're fucked, but... Um, 
it's I almost feel like an old man now because I'm like having to take care of my feet so much. But it's just it's just what I got to do. Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. Have you used that Luco tape? I pimp it out like they pay me and they probably should because I've sold so much of that shit for them. But that Luco tape has been huge for me for uh, uh, for hot. I say hot spots, potential blister areas. Um, I pre tape now my heels, even though I don't even need to uh, just because the boots I'm Uh wearing fit so well. I do pre tape my heels a lot of times on long trips. That Luco tape sticks forever. It's also good. I mean, you just flat out fuck up your hand or your arm or whatever, and you need something to stick for a while. I mean, I'm not making fun of people that bring Band-Aids. Band-Aids are cool. I just have not <laughs> seen a reason because Band-Aids fall off on a backpack. It's like putting a Band-Aid on a bullet wound. It's just not going to stay. Um, so the Luco tape, I'll pad it maybe with a Band-Aid and then put Luco tape over the top if I put a pretty good you know, or gauze or whatever the hell, if I put a pretty gash into myself and that Luco tape keeps it on there. But man, we've taped up, you know, webbing on our bino harnesses. I've taped eye cups. On, I mean, I use that Luco tape for everything. I just, I, I, I gotta be honest, dude. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what you're talking about. I haven't, I haven't heard about this, man. It, it that shit is the bomb.com. The only it's problem the is shit that sticks to itself. Is it? It, uh, no, no, that's like vet wrap. And I use that too a lot. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, no, yeah. it is just a medical tape that'll stick to your skin for seven to 10 days. Now, before okay. I get more okay. emails from guys, if you have an exposed blister and you put that on, don't message me that you pulled it off and it ripped your skin off. Use some <laughs> common fucking sense. It is sticky. So yes, you will need to tape if you have a blister, put a Band-Aid over that and put Luco tape over that. Like, it is so sticky. this is the, the new version of duct tape. Uh, yeah, it's, I, I, man, get, I'd get on Amazon order today. Um, it, oh, believe me, I will. <laughs> it, I mean, literally, but now it will, you will rip your skin off. You got to get it wet when you pull it off. Now, I wear it long enough to where it just falls off, basically. It you know, wears for, off, yeah. Um, but if you put it on for a day and pull it off the next... Even if you don't have an exposed this blister, there's a good chance you're pulling off some skin. Um, it's sticky. Yeah. And what it has something to do with the oxygen and the, the chemical reaction oh. from oxygen, and then it sticks on. But I'm to the point now where I have um, a, a partially u- used roll in like a hard plastic case I keep in my pack. Man, I've taped up hiker's feet that I've run into on the trail with it. Um, you know, again, like you have a lawn, uh, you know, like a Taito knife, have on whatever surgical blade cuts, everything, anything like that, all the way down to taping up gear. I've used Luco tape for it. So it's, it's great. Um, with, huh. with yeah. your, your, while we're talking about that, I am horrible about a med kit, meaning I guess maybe I'm jaded or I'm very realistic to the fact that if you're in that bad of trouble, um, you're uh, what am I trying to say? I'm not a big fan of blood clot like the uh, quick clot. Um, it yeah. rots your skin yeah. off anyway. So, I, I mean, I don't at a point if you need quick clot, you probably are going to need a tourniquet. Not saying you have to have it. Yeah. I'm not don't be fucking administering tourniquets out there. You're going to lose a limb. But I bring painkillers surgical super glue or some type of a super glue so, you know, ibuprofen i'll have some benadryl in there some basic pills and stuff luco tape now for me and i'm not saying it's right that's about all i bring what do you bring for a med kit yeah i don't you know it's it's interesting i don't bring i don't bring a lot 
my med kit is pretty damn small. Uh, I definitely bring super glue. I definitely bring some gauze, some, uh, I don't bring Luco tape, but I will now, but I bring some like surgical tape, uh, painkillers for sure. You know, I don't, I don't really gun hunt, um, like you. And so I really haven't, I, you know, I, le- I left the quick clot and, and tourniquets behind when I left the military and I still have them. Um, and I bring them to the range if I'm shooting and, and stuff like that in a med kit with my, in my range bag. But man, you know, I, don't, I don't gun hunt I don't, either. I, I borrow the guide's gun yeah. twice, twice in the last 10 years. I'm bad with guns, mm-hmm. dude. I just don't do it. But I guess my point is, is I can build a tourniquet without a tourniquet yes, exactly so yeah exactly and, so i just don't bring one and yeah. that was kind of my point is i can build a tourniquet out of your boot lace right i can you know and mm-hmm. if i'm to the point where i've got to give somebody a tracheotomy you're fucked anyway right like having right, the shit right. to, and how, what got you to the point where i need to give you a tracheotomy who knows right like that kind of stuff is so far-fetched and i get questions about that i think people read too many books what generally happens what I've seen is you have Taito knife scalpel blade injuries, right? That's one. Right. You're going to have somebody yeah, poor that broadheads. Poor broadheads. Exactly. Um, yeah. Somebody falls down and bangs themselves up. Somebody has a headache from altitude sickness, not drinking enough water, you know, twisted ankles, all things that really a painkiller and some elbow grease are going to, you know, fix. Right. And so yeah. having sutures, I don't know about you, but I've tried to super suture somebody. They were more fucked up by the time I was done than they were when I started. And so having sutures anymore, I carry sutures with me, but it's actually more for gear repair because they're already together and I don't have to mess with it if I got to stitch something together. But if, if you got to suture yeah. someone, man, I saw somebody on, I'm not going to mention any names, suture themselves up. You're causing more damage generally than it's worth because sutures are usually to cause less um to, to make the scar look better um, in the end, not all the time, but a lot of times that suture is basically going to heal cleaner if it's stitched than if it was just taped together and hodgepodge. Now, I'm not a doctor. I just play one on a podcast, but the guys that bring sutures and try to stitch themselves up, I'd say that's a bad idea. Um, I mean, what do you think about that type of stuff? Yeah, you know, I used to carry them and, and I kind of came to the same conclusion as you did. I mean, broadheads scalpels or any kind of whatever your hunting knife is i've definitely slashed the hell out of myself i've seen other guys do it um that's the biggest concern at least as an archery hunter and then the other one that i've seen a couple times is um a few puncture wounds from guys say going through blowdown and and falling and you know having a stick poke their ass or something or getting cut in a scree field and falling down and getting and getting cut um but all those I've been able to fix with, you know, gauze, super glue, direct pressure, and just, you know, at a certain point, you just get the person out of the field, um, as opposed to trying to lay them up for six hours and, and sew their, you know, sew some big cut on their butt cheek together, and then they're so stiff they can't walk, you're better off maybe just walking them out. And uh, so I, I keep it really basic anymore. You know, I've been through the wilderness EMTs and all that. I just... I just don't bring airways. I don't bring any of that anymore. Uh, I've, maybe like you, I've seen enough of the common injuries that that I, I bring enough to take care of that. And if anything else, I'm, I'm either hitting the SOS, you know, to, to bring a bird in or I'm trying to get the person out. 
Yeah, no, no, I agree. Now, one thing I will say I've started doing, and I have the um, ability and friends to do it. If I'm traveling internationally or I'm traveling to Canada, I will bring um, some type of a penicillin, amoxicillin, some kind of an antibiotic. Um, I hardly ever have to use it. Usually my Canadian's friends steal that shit from me because it's hard for them to get. Oh, yeah. Uh, But, you know, in the case of like, um, you know, it could be as simple as let's say um, I've got an infection on my hand. I'm not a doctor, but I have seen cuts, especially dealing with bears, go south relatively quickly. Um, You know, so I always bring an antibiotic if I'm traveling, or I say always, I try to. Um, You know, but like a lot of people, if you get Giardia, it takes two weeks for that shit to set in anyway. So you're not going to really be... Yeah, exactly. Um, You know, when you talk about altitude sickness, if you haven't already started taking the pills for altitude sickness, your only hope is to drop altitude um, and hydrate. Um, you know, for, I guess it's my humble opinion, you're pretty well screwed. If it's already hit you, you got to drop altitude. There's no magic pill that's going to, you know, fix it. Um, I do carry usually like Oxycontin, which is not, you know, it's a pretty strong, like if I'm at a point I need Oxycontin, I'm solo and I'm screwed anyway. So I might as well take some drugs to be less painful, but I will bring things like that just as a painkiller, but three Three Oxycontins aren't going to fill up my pack, right? My little pill bottle's not very big. It's pretty small. So I'm kind of the same, um, you know, same same end as you. And I do carry, like you said, an SOS button. If if you're <coughs> if that screwed up, I'm I'm going to be hitting that button. You know, I might fall down and hit my elbow yeah. while I'm shed hunting or something. <laughs> the the antibiotics are a great call, and I, uh, kind of your point. Like I've done that on occasion, but I really I rarely have access to to kind of keep them. Uh, fresh, so, uh, but I'll bring an EpiPen, especially, you know, if I'm going into an environment I'm not familiar with a lot of times, like overseas kind of stuff. Right. Um, then, then I will occasionally bring an EpiPen, but I'm never bringing it back because they're so valuable to people that they're always like bartering to get it from you. So, um, they're kind of getting expensive now to, to get EpiPens, but you know, if you're with people you don't know, I mean, I'm, I'm fairly confident I'm, I'm going to be okay, but um, man, if somebody starts losing their airway or something because they're they're swelling, an EpiPen could literally save their life. Oh um, yeah, for yeah, sure. I keep it pretty. I keep it pretty basic. Um, yeah. Have you ever done? If, I don't know if how 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 far afield you've gone. I haven't gone. Maybe New Zealand, maybe the farthest Africa. But uh, you ever done like any of the global rescues or anything like that? You ever gotten any of their plans? No. Oh, no, 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 I haven't. Yeah. I actually know some guys. It's, uh, it's, uh, shit, it's not Global Rescue, but yeah, I, I, I've thought about it in the past, like, just because they're expensive medevacs, but, um, yeah, but in North America, I, I keep, keep it pretty, pretty simple. Water filtration is a huge one because I don't want to get you out there no matter what, uh, even if I'm out of the field, but, yeah, unfortunately, I've had that more than one time. Um, another thing that I don't have my hands on, which I wish I still did, is, uh, man, I used to have the availability to get uh, IVs. And when I'd get back from a hard trip mm-hmm. to give myself an IV, and uh, you want to talk about a quick pick-me-up, 
that shit will fix any oh, yeah. problem. It fixes what ails you. And I, I was able, I would give them to myself and my feet, which would be awkward as the IVs hanging off. I look like a, you know, some kind of a fucking drug addict. IVs hanging off the <laughs> rear of my truck and there's an IV tube sticking in my foot. Um, but I, you know, at one time, and I'm only bringing this up because it, it has to do with hydration. That IV is just rehydrating you, and it it is uh, well not just but basically, it is amazing how many people screw themselves from dehydration and not staying hydrated, not feeding their bodies with electrolytes. Um, I think yeah. a lot of people that think they have altitude sickness is really more of a case of of dehydration than you know than anything. Uh, maybe pushing themselves too hard, but I try to always drink a hundred ounces of water a day. Um, at a minimum, and that's a lot of water, but I drink a lot of water. And then I, I take emergency packets or some kind of a electrolyte mix. I just slam them. I pour the powder in my mouth. They taste like shit anyway, and then drink water. <laughs> What's funny, I yeah, take— I just get it out of the way. Well, it I pre, so bad. Oh, Lord, pre-workout's the same way my buddies make fun of me. I just scoop it, throw it in my mouth, and slam it with water. It's like, guys, I'm not drinking this shit because I like the taste. I need energy. Right. It has nothing to do. Yeah. It's like, oh, this raspberry limeade tastes such so great. It's like it tastes horrible. It doesn't matter what name they put on it. So yeah, I just do it to get it out of the, out of the way. But what, uh, what, anything else we're missing that you want to cover? I mean, we probably talked for seven hours, but any highlights you were thinking of before <laughs> we got going? No, I think we, I think we've touched on them. You know, I think the hydration thing. I mean, and maybe you've done it in the past. I haven't listened. You haven't been doing the podcast forever. I've listened to most of them, but you know you could probably do a podcast just on on water and water filtration and water purification. Because to me, like like you know, my secret to success, so to speak, especially going to altitude. Which for me, if if you're going, you know, if you're if you're approaching ten or above, like for sure, uh, I just hydration is everything to me like i will leave if i have to i'll leave some food behind to, to make sure that i have the ability to to produce clean water because yeah i drink I, I drink more probably in the field than i probably even do at home right which I'm not, i don't know what that says about me but i found that my body really really can continue to hum um if if i stay hydrated and i agree with you at altitude so many people are just dehydrated. They don't understand it's so arid up there that they're losing more moisture than they, you know, generally would. That most of those headaches and stuff are caused by dehydration and not necessarily altitude sickness. You know, not that you want to discount altitude sickness, but but that 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 having water is just it's huge. You know, and you were talking. I don't know if you cache water in some of the areas you go, but oh fuck you yeah. know, when you're planning your routes, like having having the ability to get water. I mean, fuck. It's not like I want to drop a thousand feet to get water, but you don't have a choice. Like you will end your hunt and 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 screw yourself up quicker by lack of hydration. And you know, I'll get out of the field. I've never done the IV uh, at the trailhead, but. You know, you'll get out of the field and think, oh, you know, I kept up on my hydration bullshit. Like, you are still dehydrated when you come out of the field. Maybe not as bad, but, like, you're not at optimum hydration. Rarely have I ever come out of the field and go, oh, no, I don't need to drink any more water. Like, I'm good. Um, yeah, it's huge, man. Huge. We, you talked about caching water, um, and there's no time limit on this podcast, so it's really whenever you need to get off. But caching water, it's resourcefulness. It's it's. It, it, again, it's a man skill, thinking ahead of, well, 
going to get yelled at by women now or a woman skill, whatever. <laughs> it's thinking ahead of potential issues. So you come in in July and snow is melting. That snow won't be there during season. But when that snow is melting, then that is a prime place. If you have a glassing point above to get some type of a container, whether it be a, you know, a cheap water bladder, a good water bladder, um, whatever, fill that up at that time, hide that, you know, is it going to taste great or whatever? I don't throw some aquamere in the shit. It'll be fine. You're not going to die. Yeah. Right. You yeah. just, you, once that water's in there, you can, you know, I'll take it, pour it in my analogy and use my stirrupin. I'll put aqua tabs in there, whatever. But you think of it this way. And a lot of people don't, um, Kip Fowler is a guy who's, he's a big mule deer hunter. Um, is known uh-huh. for this. If you know him, if you, um, have to drop, as you said, a thousand feet, which is real. I mean, that is realistic every day yep. to get water or every three days. If you're able to go 50 feet and fill up 10 liters of water and leave it there, um, you know, that, I mean, honestly, I'm, well, I say 10 liters, I mean, more than that, right? I mean, whatever it takes, that will keep right. you on that glassing point, one. Two, it will save you all that expounded energy dropping down to your water source over and over. You won't be exposed. Animals aren't going to see you. There's so many valid points to hiding water that people don't think about. Now, as we're talking about this, we're giving away lots of secrets, but whatever. <laughs> I, I mean... Hiding water, hiding food, hiding wet wipes. I mean, monkey butt will fucking push you off the mountain quick. I've had, (laughs) now I shave my ass now. I mean, with, I'm sure I'll get made fun. I shave everything. I look like a six year old boy when I go into the field, armpits and all. You can make fun of that, but dude, I have not had armpit chafing, no butt rash, no ball itch, nothing since I've done that. And people don't. I won't make fun of you. I just didn't need to hear that because that the image <laughs> in my head, I will never get rid of. Some shit doesn't wash off. You haven't heard my Mormon story, have you? I'll tell that one in a minute. But I literally do that just for the sweat and bacteria, you know, buildup or whatever huh. you want to call it. And so I pack in wet wipes early. You know, I pack in a lot of stuff when I can. Now, those that can't do that totally understand. You're going to have a heavy pack. I, I feel bad for you. If you have the chance to, you know, cash some water or cash some food or whatever, that's, I mean, water, what can you make it two days without water and two weeks without food? Is that about, that's what I always tell people. Is that about what it is? Yeah. Three, three days, three weeks, something like that. But you, you need water and at altitude, I would say you shouldn't go a day without it. You know, you're, you're going to be severely limited. Yeah. You might live, but you're going to wish you didn't. Right, yeah. right. Yeah, no, for, for sure. Yeah. Um, You know, while we're, do you need to get off this as I'm rambling on? No, no, I'm good. I'm what, good. Uh, archery-wise, now I didn't know you were as addicted to archery as I was until we went to TAC, and I think Sloan told me, or Brinker, that basically that's all Barklow does is shoot. He goes to work and then he shoots. Um, Have you always yeah. been, like, super addicted to archery, or is that recent since you got out of the military, or, or what? No, so it's funny, man. I, I nobody big game hunted in my family, so you know I kind of grew up figuring it out on my own. But uh, you know, grew up in Ohio. But I have always been fascinated by archery for some reason, even as a little kid. And uh, you know, so self-taught, trying to kill whitetails in Ohio, which very unsuccessful at. Um, so I've always enjoyed it, and then just depending on what I was doing in the military. Um, 
you know, I'd either hunt more or hunt less depending on the time I had, but it was always archery hunting. And, um, but I'm absolutely a thousand percent addicted. Well, when I went up to Kodiak for all those years, there was no archery shop there. And, uh, so just because of just because I had to, uh, you know, ended up buying a bow press and, and blowing up a couple bows and some strings, trying to figure it all out. And, you know, over the years have taught myself how to, you know, work on all my bows and, um, you know, what Dudley's doing nowadays is, is helped immensely to, to just learn, uh, stuff. But I, I have a full on archery shop in, in my garage. I have a range in my yard out to a hundred, so I don't have to actually shoot across the uh, neighbor's yard and a, a public street like you do. I know, right? That um, fucking old lady you know, hates me. I was at, yeah, but you know, I was at work at seven this morning and I'd already shot my 50 arrows, you know, for the day. Uh, cause I knew it was going to rain this afternoon, but uh, dude, I'm, I'm 110% addicted to it. I mean, I just, it's, it's all consuming to me. Um, yeah. yeah and I, I, you know, I didn't I know you could shoot. <laughs> I, honestly, I knew I knew you shot a bow, but I didn't know you were actually legitimately a good shot until we shot together at Tack. I, I try, man. I, I try to. It, it's yeah. I, I would say I'm definitely a student of the game. Um, I'm you know a pie plate a pie plate at at 100 yards is not good enough for me. You know, I'm trying to shoot 50 cent pieces. I'm not saying I can, but that's that's the goal. Um. Uh, you know, I've, I own some recurves, and I enjoy the hell out of shooting them. But, I, I, one, I don't think I have the natural talent that somebody like yourself has. And, two, I just ask myself, okay, all the time that I spend shooting, because I shoot year-round, all the time that I spend shooting and I'm still just this good with a compound, like I don't have enough time in the day to shoot a recurve to be good enough at it to where I'd want to go kill like an elk, you know. Um, shot plenty of birds and small game with my recurves, but... But, you know, pretty much at this point, a, a compound shooter. So I, I really give guys like you and South credit who have, you know, were exceptional shots with a compound and that you, you know, kind of put it on the shelf. You know, and I agree with you guys, like looking for the next uh, challenge. But it, it, it's easier said than done, you know, to cut your effective range from 80 yards to I don't know what yours is. Just to say 20 for the average recurve guy. That, that um. takes a lot of guts. Well, and you, I mean, I think you saw what my effective range was with a compound. It was out there. Like I can shoot a compound. Yeah. And I, yeah, it was one thing when, when we, with Brian, Brian had never really seen me shoot a compound. He kind of walked into it. When I say Brian, Brian call, he kind of walked into it and we were just hunting with a recurve. And I don't think he realized how hard it was me for me to have an elk broadside at a hundred yards and think, Hmm, that's a par five. Fuck. I got to get a lot closer, you know, like it was just, uh, you know, it was, it was, I mean, obviously I liked it enough. I'm, I'm still doing it, but, um, but yeah, I mean, with the compound, which it, that was awesome, yeah, you know, shooting with everybody up there, that was a good course. Um, you know, it's always nice. I mean, you can send it on those courses. I mean, those <laughs> geez, oh, yeah. far shots attack, but you know, now, you know, I shoot anything past 60. I'm like, I hit foam where before, you know, if I wasn't inside the tin ring, I was unhappy now. Shit, I'm happy if I hit the target. It's a, it's a man. It's night and day difference shooting that recurve. But I, I've been luckily successful enough to where, you know, I haven't gotten really down in the dumps on it. But it, it does take a commitment. What uh, on your compound? What do you got for a setup? I try to ask everybody this. Um, you know, I'm sure you change all the time. But I mean, what's your basic normal setup? 
So my basic stuff is I've, I've been shooting Hoyts for probably two decades now. So my, you know, the current bow is an RX1 Ultra. So I always try to shoot a, a longer axle axle if they offer it. Um, I'll take every bit of forgiveness I can get. I probably don't need to shoot the, the longer one, but I do. Um, I'm a huge fan of spot hog sights. I just think they're super durable. I always shoot a fixed pin. I shoot a fixed seven pin. Um, I don't shoot a slider except maybe if I'm going to shoot those 3D comps. I've just had too many opportunities, like Antelope's a good example, where maybe you range an Antelope and he's at, you know, X distance, and then they see you and start to move off. And in my mind, I'm just calculating as they're walking away and just, you know, bring it up my pin gap. And, um, you know, been able to kill lots of animals like that where I couldn't with a single pin slider. Um, and then last year I finally went to some limb driven rests. Um, I was using cable activated for a long time and I actually got fucked in New Zealand on that. Uh, went down there and the doggone rest wouldn't work. Had to go to a backup bow. It just started a whole chain of events with confidence and stuff. Um, so I've been really happy with limb driven rests and then, I don't shoot a lot of weight necessarily. I can shoot a lot more, but I definitely shoot a heavy arrow. I mean, my arrow is four, like around 480. And for the moose hunt, it'll be more like 550, which is not, it's not heavy for a recurve guy, but it's, it's getting pretty heavy for a lot of compound guys. I only got a 28 and a half inch draw. Um, and then I try to shoot fixed blade broadheads. Um, I'll shoot a couple mechanicals at times, but I'm, been shooting the ram caps for a couple years now and really just enjoying the devastating nature that uh that they bring to whatever i'm hitting so yeah those are a wicked um, wicked broadhead yeah i found them to fly really good i mean i'm 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 a guy who'll buy three or four different broadheads every year and just try them uh the iron wills i've i've had really good luck with they fly exceptionally well i think um wicked sharp um but just in general for myself, like traditional two blades, I haven't had the best blood trails. So I, I tend to, depending on what I'm shooting, I tend to go back and forth on those. But, um, yeah, so that, that's kind of what I'm, kind of what I'm shooting right now. That's, that's kind of my setup I've had for quite a while. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. No, I, yeah, I bet same thing. Now, although I've went back and forth between a seven pin fix and a seven pin, you know, slider, um, you know, and which is actually what started me shooting a, a recurve to begin with, because I had mentioned a few of the shots I had taken, got some hate from trad guys like, you suck, pick up a trad bow, you'll never kill anything. I'm like, oh, I'll show you, and then went down that. The toothpaste doesn't go back in the tube sometimes. I started shooting that thing and yeah. got addicted. But, yeah, the same kind of basic. Oh, it, it's easy to get addicting, though. addicted to shooting trad archery for sure. Oh, Lord, yeah. And I'm one thing, you know, on my end, which, I mean – it got to the point where I'd get a compound bow in. I was just bored with it. It'd sit in a box for a couple of weeks where rewind, I'd take days off of work calling sick to set up my bow. You know what I mean? I just, and then it got mm-hmm. to a point where I'm, I didn't want to do it where now like I'm waiting on a new black widow and I'm like getting to the point where I'm that guy calling them once a week. Is it ready yet? Like, you know, yeah, the, yeah. Well, yeah. I, I want to get that bow, get it set up. I'm excited where I, I didn't, that excitement kind of, you know, left me with the, you know, with the compound. And, uh, so, I, I mean, I don't really, I mean, I don't give a shit what you shoot. You can hunt in pink underwear. I don't care. I mean, whatever makes you happy. Um, you know, some of that animosity gets going with the, I call them old crusties, but you can be a young crusty too. And then, the, 
you know, you get the the 19 year old compound guys that are telling everybody to shoot rage in the cage and they've killed a doe in their entire hunting career. You yeah, know, there's a lot yeah. of shit goes yeah. around like that. What's your, what do you got? Do you guys have an archery range up there in Bozeman? Uh, we have a couple, a uh, couple indoor, you know, you can shoot to 50, but what's cool. Uh, so I ended up moving out of town. I, I moved, I'd get out of, I had to get out of Bozeman a little bit and into the country. Uh, so I have a range now on, on my property, but there's a range half a mile from the office here and it's a 24 hour access to the, to the 50 yard spot range. And so, you know, I'd be, I'd just roll in, shoot at six in the morning and shoot for an hour all by myself and then, and then come to work. So that's, that's been pretty nice. Um, we have a couple 3d ranges, but they're not, they're not close. So, you know, I've been, I've been fortunate enough to be able to, to kind of build my own 3d range but um you know and i'll go to the ski hill i used to go to the ski hill in the summer and bring a 3d target you know air it out and start shooting side hill and uphill and downhill so there's lots of opportunity to do that um you just have to be willing to put the time in but uh but yeah no i'm i'm digging it you know and, and trad bows i mean let's face it man they're beautiful like they are works of art like Black Widows and what South is doing with his stalkers. Like, I can't believe some of the wood that he gets to build his bows. Like, they're beautiful works of art. Whereas a compound's more of like an engineering marvel. Like, they're they're cool looking, they're techie, but you know, I wouldn't, you know, I don't know if beautiful is a word that I would use. And, and uh, you know, so there's, I don't know, that's our, that's where the sport came from. That's our DNA, you know, and uh, it'll be interesting to see you evolve. Maybe you'll, Maybe you'll even get into making self bow at some point in time. And I'd say that's a fucking stretch. Jesus, I don't know, man. <laughs> it it's hard enough tipping something over with a fucking recurve. I, man, I tell you, I mean, you know, some guys are, oh, you're making it look easy. It's like, really? Do you know the commitment I have put into this? Like, you know, not not just shooting, right? But just just the, I hate to say, you know, like you said, the st- a student of the game. I mean, anyone can go shoot all day, right? It's also the knowledge behind it, like learning proper form with, uh, you know, a compound, obviously, as well as a recurve, learning how to tune, you know, the proper release. And then obviously physical fitness. If you're doing backpack hunts and a stick bow, you better yep. be prepared. Look at South. What, he missed five in one hunt? That's a lot of elevation yeah. gain and loss to get yeah. your ass kicked. I mean, you got to be fit. And, and, he, and he's an awesome hunter. And he's an awesome hunter, you know. I, I oh, let me talk about South real quick. I, I was at Pope and Young two two conventions ago, and uh, he was putting on a seminar. So I'm like, I'll, I'll go. I'll go listen to South talk, you know. And it, the place was packed. Probably had 200 people in there, and it, you know it's dark, so he's playing videos behind him as he's talking. And dude, I'm telling you, the first five minutes of his presentation was this incredible footage of South. I mean, well inside of 20 yards on some of these bucks, giant mule deer, you know, velvet deer, and whiffing over and over and over and over. And, I mean, everybody was just immediately in love with the guy because they're like, shit, this guy's amazing. And if this guy's whiffing this much with trad gear, as good a shot and as good a hunter he is, like, I just knew that this guy was the real deal, you know, that he wasn't afraid to show, you know, some of his misses and stuff. Um, but there's, there's no illusion to me that it it is, it is by far like the next level, um, above what I'm doing for sure. And you, you know, you have been very successful, Aaron. Let's, let's be honest. What I like about you though, is that you don't 
sit there and go, yeah, I'm, I'm a badass. You're like, no, fuck, you have no idea the amount of work that, that I'm putting in. I hear you say that all the time, you know, and who was it? Tom Plum, you were getting, you were getting, um, some lessons from and stuff yeah. like you're, you're putting the work in. So you're allowed to be successful, you know, when you put the work in, but I think it's important that people know the amount of work you're putting in. Yeah. I shoot a lot, like 400 arrows a day at a minimum, I would say. And that's not every day, but pretty close. I guarantee yeah. it's a couple hundred a day. Um, you know, uh-huh. I shoot, I mean, I, I mean, it's funny cause Amy had never seen me this addicted, right? Like she saw me with a compound, I'd grab it and I'd shoot. I like shooting a compound, but not total all consuming in the garage, 10 o'clock at night working on my form. Honey, will you video me in slow-mo? You know, she, shit like, what? well, she's seen it now that she's gotten where she sees, uh, you know, I'm sure this sounds extremely arrogant, but compared to most people, the amount of animals I've put on the ground, she sees why I am the way I am now. One, I'm not very good at sucking at anything. Um, yeah. yeah, I just, I'm just not. And, um, not to say I've got it all that in a bag of chips, my damn self, but I mean, I, I try to be as proficient as I can. Um, so, and she sees now why, like we go to these tournaments and I, and I do, you know, very well at the tournaments and hunting. Well, she knows, like she knows what I'm putting into this thing and it drives her. Well, I don't say it drives her crazy. She's super cool. But can you imagine 10 o'clock at night, she's about ready for bed. And I'm like, Hey, will you video this in the garage? I mean, I'm sure she's thinking, what the fuck is wrong with this guy? But it, it takes, you know, you have to be that, I mean, you have to be that dedicated, that committed. I yeah. mean, just yeah. in everything you do to be six, that successful. And I don't know how many animals I've shot now. I don't know, 17 or 18, maybe with the stick bow, but you know, with all of that, people don't see, I mean, I just cried for set. I said, I cried, right. I was laughing my ass off. I watched that video and he, he's like, you know, archery hunting is supposed to be tough or stick bow hunting is supposed to be this tough. I'm like, dude, I would have snapped that bow over my fucking knee and made it in firewood. Yeah. Like, Jesus. Yeah. Um, and that was when I had a compound in my hand. Well, then fast forward, yeah. I got a stick bow in my hand and I'm thinking, oh, Lord, what did I get myself into? Missed a deer three times the first day of season. Not even sure why. I'm like, man, what did I get myself into? It was so much easier with the compound. But, I mean, it is what it is. I mean, you do everything for different, you know, different. Yeah, Everybody does something for a different reason. Um, but uh, I just get more yeah. adrenaline from the stick bow. Well, I don't know. I'll, I'll probably get myself in hot water here. I'll just say I don't know how many people maybe should ethically either be sh- – actually hunting with a stick bow or should be shooting past, you know, 10 or 15 yards with the stick bow. I, I just don't know, and to include myself, how many people actually have the talent for it. There's people that have a, what I'll at least perceive, perceivably to me to be a natural talent. I would say Sal, I would say you, but now I'm going to say Bart Schlayer, Paul Schaefer, right? Fred Bear, like some of these guys where, you know, they're just, you know, because I've seen you shoot at 70 yards with the stick bow. Very few people are even hitting the fucking target. And you're, you know, you're, you're, you're stacking arrows and you haven't been shooting it, you know, your entire life. So I don't think a lot of people have the natural ability to do it. You know, whatever that is, hand-eye coordination, whatever the fuck. I can throw a baseball, but I can't shoot a recurve instinctively, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, but, but, but what, but that's easy to discount. What I don't think people see is the absolute commitment, you know, hundreds of arrows a day, 
fuck man, that's, that's a lot. That's a huge commitment. And, uh, so you, you couple that with, you know, good hunting ability. Yeah. You, you, you should be successful and you have been. And I think it's awesome. I think it's awesome. I think what, what you're doing for, for archery and trad archery, like guys like you and South, like younger guys, so to speak, who are really getting after it. I think it's awesome. I think it's incredible what you guys are doing. Yeah. South, South's funny. He, um, uh, like I'm trying to get him to go. He's got, I don't know. He's got like an alpha team worth of kids, right? I don't have any kids he's got, right? But he's got a lot of kids, but they're going on oh, a vacation. Yeah. <laughs> he's, he, he didn't have enough. He adopted more, right? Like, yeah, I don't have enough problems. Let me adopt yeah, some more kids. Right. Obviously he likes being a dad, but he, um, I think they were going, they're all going on vacation. So I was like, South, you got to get, you know, down here and we'll go shoot. We've got a cool mountain course here. That's up year round, uh, American Bowman. Yeah looks like it and yeah. uh you know fling some arrows we'll go do some fishing or whatever and he's getting to where he's freed up but he got so busy with the, uh, you know trying to keep up with the bows and everything um you know and in south like i didn't really you know until the like the gritty i didn't really nobody really knew who i was i mean whatever like different rumors and things like that but like you know with south is kind of a behind the scenes guy too. I mean, you're worse than all of us. Like yeah. I think you got one picture on your fucking Instagram page, right? But, um, <laughs> you know, the thing is, is, is it's good getting you and South, me, other guys, the knowledge out there to help people out because there's so much disinformation, <laughs> whatever you want to piss poor information, um, going around on the Insta Google tweet face anymore that I'm glad that, that, that podcasts and things like that have been an outlet for, for people to learn from because, um, uh, you know, I mean, obviously we had, you know, there was no Google when we were kids. I mean, you had to learn that shit on your own, but yeah. it, it is helpful for people. And with traditional archery crash, you need all the help you can get anyway. Um, and compound, yeah, yeah. you said it, man. I don't know how many guys blow up bows. I mean, if you learn that on your own, you're going to fuck some shit up at first. I mean, you, uh, different yeah. bows can't be pressed by certain presses, right? I mean, you're learning, obviously, shorten the cables, poundage goes up, draw gets longer, vice versa. Like, there's a lot to it. And, and like you said, with what Dudley does, um, you know, it's it's a great, you know, informational tool for a lot of people getting going. Um, so, I mean... The internet's not all bad, I guess, even when, though I want to blow up social media off and on from day to day. But, um, you know, overall, it's been, uh, you know, it's, I think it's good for a lot of people for knowledge. Yeah, there's more there's more great information out there now, in particular about archery um, that, you know, hopefully it gets more people into it and, and gets them enjoying it. And they they stick around and, you know, things like the, the, the tack shoots and, and having a range like you talked about, like that's super important stuff just to get people out there and, and kind of, you know, get them started and, uh, kind of moving in the right direction. Um, you know, I don't give a shit what you shoot as well. I don't care if you shoot a compound or recurve. I just don't care uh, as long as you're, you know, working with it, trying to be proficient with it and trying to be ethical. Like, let's all just go have some fun. Oh yeah, for, for sure. I mean, I, the same thing, obviously I deal in, in, in backpacks you deal with in, you know, in shelters and stuff, you guys got packs, clothing. Mm -hmm. It is amazing. Um, it'll make this a Debbie Downer podcast, how many assholes there are in the industry. And I'm probably included in that by some people, but I get along with guys <laughs> from, you know, as you know, no, I get along with guys from like Stone Glacier, get along with you a lot of different, but it, it, it does, um, it does, uh, you know, we're having a hard enough time with antis and everything else where, 
you know, I get on certain forums and things like that. And, and I'm like, Jesus, can't we all get along a little bit better? I, I just, uh, you know, had a guy, I mean, we've kind of sorted it out, given me crap that my bear wasn't as big as they thought or something. And, and I'm like, that's, I mean, you're really watching my page that close. You don't even follow me. Like there's some people that are just on the internet to cause problems. Right. And, I mean, you guys deal with it a ton. I mean, you guys are huge with Sitka. And, you know, I'll read certain things, um, you know, oh, I tried this out or I tried that out and it just didn't perform like I wanted it to. And then I'm trying to find some field photos and animals on the ground. I'm like, would you try it out in your garage? Like, you know, finding solid, valuable intel is difficult these days. I mean, it's just, you know, there's I shouldn't say difficult it's hard to weed through the BS sometimes. And, uh, you know, I'm glad that like you hopped on here for this cause you, you know, you're, a, uh, you know, just a, a, a large amount of knowledge coming out with everything you've done. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, I, I, I find it obviously, you know, you and I are in the industry and we know some of the realities that we won't talk about, but I, I just, it's kind of laughable at the, you know, I call it the camel wars and, and stuff like that, you know, and I'm, I'm, I'm in the mix, but I try to not demean anybody else's brand if I can for the most part. But yeah, we have far more that, that we align with, you know, I get, I mean, hell man, within just within a few miles of the office I'm in right now is Stone Glacier and Mystery Ranch and, you know, uh, first lights just over in Idaho. And I mean, we, I get along with those guys just fine. You know, I don't think we have to be assholes to each other to uh you know to make competitive product and and uh you know we're all hunters we're all just trying to do something we're passionate about so you know except for a few you know for the most part i i just try to just try to do the best thing i can do for 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 sitka here and you know get along with you guys and so i mean hell you know you and i are on a podcast together and somebody could go well you guys are competitors it's like uh, who gives a shit i mean right we're doing different stuff to, for different folks. So it's all cool. There's a I'm, lot of I'm, pie in the yeah, sky. Yeah. I was going to say there's, <laughs> there is. Well, and the other thing too, is it's not like, um, uh, even if we had, well, we have a puffy jacket, right? But even if we had, uh, you know, clothing, there's always the different twists and turns and, and old and special flavors. Right. I mean, you look at Stone always. Glacier, right? They go, they go like more towards the extreme lighter weight type of, type of, you know, side of things. We're more in like the mid road mystery ranch, not so much anymore. They're a little bit heavier, um, uh, more durable yep. type of thing. Everybody's got their own, uh, you know, their own brand or flavor. The one thing like the, with, with, uh, again, not to make it a Sitka, uh, blown out podcast as everyone knows, I use everything. The one thing nice with Sitka is you guys do offer fucking everything to a confusing level. Like I hate writing gear lists when a yeah. guy doesn't know what to buy. Um, but yeah. I've gotten it now where I've got pre-spreadsheets or pre-text uh, or pre-text I've already written uh, that I for mm-hmm. for different gear lists because the one thing you guys um, you know because you do the whitetail the big game um, you know and you when I and say waterfowl yeah. and waterfowl the one thing nice with like the big game um, looking from a, a standpoint of ten years ago buying mountaineering clothing right you guys offer. Um, everything on par or better than the standard mountaineering clothing. Um, when I say standard, the higher end mountaineering clothing, but it's in, it's in Mm -hmm. camo with some hunting twists. And I try to explain that to people is what you guys do isn't 
overly different than what you could buy on the high-end mountaineering world, whether it be Arcteryx, Rab, um, whoever, right, Mammut. But mm-hmm. there's, mm-hmm. it's it's hunting-related, meaning pockets are in a certain specific area, more catered to hunting. Obviously, the camo pattern, maybe durability areas are um, thought of more, obviously, on your part for for hunting, the outer shell may have a slighter tweak to it compared to a mountaineering company, um, in which I'm, I'm, it's hard to find. I mean, you know, when I say hard to find, there's lots of clothing companies, but it's hard to find having it done right. And that's one thing you guys have definitely you've hit all four points to the compass on just about everything. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. I mean, I I, I like to say at least internally that you know I feel our product is is good enough quality fit everything that if you took the the camel pattern off it it could compete with you know an arcteryx or a patagonia or one of them technical mountaineering brands um but you're right you know we we make specific features for the hunter and then obviously the pattern you know if you want to wear a camel pattern obviously that's that's a big deal of what we do as well but you know as far as the product line and you're right i mean yeah uh it, it's big. I mean, just in big game, it's, it's a pretty vast uh, product line. But, you know, I feel like I'm confident in saying we're the only company that can send a guy on a desert sheep hunt in Baja and a muskox or polar bear hunt up in the Arctic. And we have everything that they actually need, like not blowing smoke up somebody's ass, but actually the gear they need to go on those hunts. Um, you know, I, I, my buddy went... My buddy lives in Alaska, and he drew a tag, and he's like, hey, man, I'm going on a muskox hunt, and it's going to be 150 miles one way on a snow machine across some pack ice, and we're going to go shoot muskox and come back. So 300 miles minimum. And uh, I was like, nope, got everything you need, man. And I hooked him up, and he went out there. They were gone three days, killed a beautiful muskox with his bow and was back. And I've, I've hooked up plenty of people on muskox and polar bear hunts with our gear. And I've hooked up plenty of people on desert sheep hunts. And, um, you know, but unfortunately for, for, for some of us, you know, the, the line starts to grow where it's, it's our challenge to make it a little more, I like to say, eat the elephant a little in smaller bites. Right. Um, but yeah, we can definitely take care of people. If wherever they go in the world, we got stuff that they can, they can wear to go hunt. What, uh, just before we finish up here, cause I'm going to list mine yeah. off, uh, and then you do yours. What are your favorite pieces? If you had to pick four, now I'm not saying a layering system, so I don't want to hear any blowback. Like, oh, only four pieces. Fuck your yeah. four favorite pieces yeah. that you would pick from Sitka. All right. So you put me on the spot. So, uh, Kelvin active jacket is number one. I would say right now the apex hoodie is number two. Uh, I'm kind of split on the pants, but I'll say the apex pants right now are my favorite pants. So those are all brand new for this year. And number four, um, shit, I don't know. Number four, I'll say the mountain jacket. That's something I almost always bring with me. Gotcha. And that's funny. Cause I never use that jacket. I don't know. Uh, most people don't. I'm one of the only people that do. Yeah, it's funny. <laughs> so what are you for? Well, almost the same as so the Timberline pants, which I've worn for ever, and I'll caveat that with in colder weather. In in you know, they're yeah. they're a warmer pant. But the Timberline pant, 
And it's funny, the first set of Apex pants I got, I fucked with you so much through Sloan because they were, I looked horrible. I mean, I looked like an 18-year-old kid and they're stovepiped. But the the ones I have now, dude, money. Like the best awesome. pant, in my opinion, this is a biased opinion for, for stick bow hunting, the best stocking yeah. pant on the market. It is super silent, hot weather wise. It breathes super well. I mean, it's 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 just a good pant. But the Timberline pant, the Apex pant, I'm gonna do five, even though I gave you four. Apex hoodie <laughs> and the Core Fucker. Crew hoodie. I know. One of the things yeah. that, and I'm kind of weird. That cold front jacket, because I'm a vagina and I get cold. That cold front uh-huh. jacket. You know, and guys have given me, oh, well, you get it free. I've bought two of those things, one at full price, one at a discounted price. I know you did. And that, because yeah. I get at 12, now, it's not a jacket that you're going to wear all the time, right? It's And for me, it's a specific right. purpose jacket. But since I'm above tree line all the time, man, for me, after September, I mean, I don't generally need it in September, October and November above tree line, I don't know that there's a better jacket on the market. Um for for me. I you know, it, it mm-hmm. it's got a wind it's waterproof, wind blocker, fleece liner. It's not overly quiet, but it doesn't matter when you're talking about you you're talking about staying alive, right? I can take it off to shoot something. Yeah. Yeah. Um and that's been a huge uh I mean that's been a very key uh jacket for me. The first one I fell you would have laughed. I about cried because I did pay, I think I paid 600 bucks or something for it. The thing got its miles. I fell off a cliff. How I didn't fuck myself up into a log pile. And I'm telling you, man, three stops impaled that jacket and managed oh. not to impale me. Um, but, wow. dude, I got up and I'm like, man, how much Gore-Tex patch tape is that going to take? Son of a bitch, <laughs> right? But, that, I mean, that jacket, literally, it was like I lost a friend that day when I <laughs> When I fell yeah. off that cliff. Yeah. <laughs> but no, that, that Apex hoodie, the only thing for me on that Apex hoodie, I'm not an elbow pad guy. I did pull those yeah. out of it. But man, you guys need yeah, to make that's that why thing. I made them removable. Oh, shit. You need to make that in a solid colors too. I'd wear that around town every day. That thing is super comfy. And it's quiet. I, I might. I might. Yeah. yeah. Well, I got something on my desk that I've been meaning to send you, but I'm going to send it to you now. It's a 2019 product, but, um, after the conversation we had, I think it's, it's going to, you're going to love this thing, but anyways, I'll send that to you when we get off the phone. But, um, because you used five, I'm going to, I'm going to take the opportunity to, to grab one more and it's not a clothing piece, but I'm super stoked on it, but it's the, uh, it's the bow sling. I've been, I've had that bow sling, for a couple of years now, you shoot a you shoot a recurve, so you won't use I it. I should say Frank I'm took mine. Totally stoked yeah. on that bow sling. Yeah. yeah. So I'll go I'll go off I'll go off the clothing, but uh, yeah, but uh, yeah that that Apex system. People don't think I listen, but all I do is listen. I'm a filter. My job is just to be a giant filter. But yeah, that I heard people out and clear. They wanted something quieter and. I'm pretty stoked on how that whole thing came out. So if you if you I'm ever you like it, if if you ever want to listen to me, a double Kelvin active with the hood would not hurt my feelings either. If if that's at all possible. <laughs> what does that mean? A double Kelvin active? double double insulated Kelvin act like a Kelvin ex- oh, Kelvin oh, oh. active extreme. Gotcha. Um, that's gotcha. what I call it. Yeah. I told Brinker about it, but one of those with a hood double insulation. Um, wouldn't be wouldn't be horrible for me but it's hard man when you're talking about people think you don't listen 
you can only filter through so much shit, right? Like I know exactly how you feel. I've got it on the other side of this, you know, on, on what we do, but there's only in one, one hand, you've got guys that are, are maybe I didn't say extreme or whatever, but like you can't make everyone happy. And if you're designing a product for 3% of the population, it's bad business, right? Like you, you got to, yeah. You, and you guys don't just fit the masses. I mean, you guys do design some pretty niche stuff as well. But I mean, you know, the product line that you guys offer, I mean, you you hit every category pretty well. And so it is hard. I would imagine it's hard for you to sift through all that shit and then try to come up with a product at the end that the majority of people are going to like. And I would think on the design table, there's a lot of times you're sitting there looking at it. I, I know I do wondering, okay, should I, should I change this? Should this be added? Should this be taken away? Uh, just cause you know, what is there? 5 billion people on the planet. I don't know how many of them hunt, but all of them bitch. Yeah. I do know that I, every one of them is wine. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not, nah, you know, it's challenging, but it's also fun as shit be honest with you i mean it's it's a lot of fun especially when you do get it right it's very very fun so yeah 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 well, no for sure i guess man. i got a pee now so well man i appreciate hours yeah yeah two hours man i appreciate you coming on and definitely uh, i don't know if we're gonna end up getting i'm trying to go on a hunt with you or you with me or whatever at some point if not yeah. i was thinking about it just fly your ass out here we'll go on a backpack fishing trip and go shoot the 3d course for a three-day weekend or something you know just let me know whenever right you want to head this way yeah yeah okay yeah well i appreciate the call this morning and uh I'm 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 glad to jump on the podcast, man. It was awesome talking to you. Definitely, we'll get you back on here again soon, man. Well, thanks for coming on, and uh, yeah, good luck this season and and all that. And uh, thanks for everything you do in the industry, man. You guys make great stuff. Yeah, I know you, Taryn. I, I the your uh, your honest voice is a breath of fresh air, so appreciate it. Only for some. All right, man. Take it easy. <laughs> all right, dude. Later. <laughs>